Hello everyone, welcome back to The Cooldown, where we talk about the dumbest and coolest stuff in competitive gaming. I'm Frank Fields. And I'm Taylor Cock. It's been a while since we had an episode, uh, partially, I guess it was a little bit laziness, but also it was National Novel Writing Month, I got the flu, Taylor had a bunch of different jobs going on, I had to visit my parents, so I didn't have any recording equipment. Didn't you make a trip to the East Coast also at some point? Uh, I have two or three. I don't. I've I've lost track of how much I've been traveling lately. I've been all over the place. Yeah, and I uh, I am wasn't Oakland there too. BlizzCon somewhere there. <laughs> yeah, BlizzCon. Yeah, it's there's been so much stuff, and even like TwitchCon was not even that long ago. The end of the year is always a whirlwind in esports. Speaking of which, <laughs> speaking of which, that brings us to the topic of today's episode. Everything happens so fast in the off season in, in esports that we really wanted to actually take this episode and talk about the off season, because for me, as someone who doesn't necessarily follow one game super closely anymore, the off season is like it's my Christmas. It's like some of the coolest stuff happens during the off season for. I guess it's mostly League of Legends, but there's also downtime for most other esports games. Yeah, and it's it's just these crazy roster swaps and organizations changing up everything. Really hard to keep track of, so like I think you're right. We need to go down to the process of how this goes through. And also maybe some fun little stories here and there. Who knows? We'll yeah. see, see what we can find. So it's usually it takes about two to three weeks for the off season whirlwind to go through, but as we were saying off show, this this year was really fast. It seemed like yes. almost every single League of Legends player was on the market and off the market within 7 to 10 days. And I've never seen signings actually happen that fast. And at the point where we are now, basically every single team has a full roster. And it hasn't even been a month, really, since contracts came off, which is incredible. Yeah, typically there's signings basically up until the absolute last second. But it seemed like everyone was kind of had an idea as to what they wanted their teams to look like next year and just really went for it. It's it's a little bit odd. I mean, just as a specific example, like Aphromu, who is the longtime supporter of CLG, and uh, to me, the, sort of the face of that team, he was one of the last guys to get signed. And yeah. he was signed like six days after the after all the rosters dropped. It was pretty intense this year. So I actually have a I have an anecdote about that one that we'll get to it at some point. But at first, I wanted to go like a little bit of an overview about how all this happens. So teams generally start looking at the rosters after the end of the summer split, but then more specifically after the group stages at Worlds, that's when people really start assessing things. And you have team owners assessing things from as broad as, is my general manager good, to is my coaching staff good, to who is the person that messed up my entire season on my roster, <laughs> and they that's kind of when the blame game happens. Reddit and things like it have a bigger effect than you might think, especially on certain owners. More owners are swayed by public opinion. Some owners are swayed by public opinion more than others. Some aren't swayed at all. But I think that without like going in on certain people, I think it's pretty evident over time, like which players are kind of, uh, I, you know what, I'll give one example. Sven Skarin this <laughs> year. Um, last year, everyone was talking about how great he was. And this year, everyone was piling on piling on him fairly or unfairly and that just kind of shows you know how often people's stock rise rises or falls obviously we have no idea how much he got paid but that's just one example of how the speculation of the offseason can really kind of impact what's happening behind the scenes that's a kind of a special example that happens to every single tsm jungler and that's sort of a 
because TSM is in such a huge spotlight, uh, they, uh, being the biggest North American organization in League of Legends, they tend to have people that kind of get slammed if they don't perform up to expectations. Yeah. Uh, and for them, and it's whether, either quarters or bust every year. Yeah, pretty much. So uh, if if you TSM underperforms in any way whatsoever or is perceived in any way whatsoever to have underperformed, someone's going to have to pick up the tab, and typically that's going to be the juggler. Hooray! Yeah. But even the teams that make the quarterfinals, teams like Cloud9 or teams like Samsung, um, <laughs> like people make change, dramatic changes... Um, and some of it is driven by the player's need to want to get more money. Some of it's, you know, by the, the blame game, either by the public blaming the players or the owners and general managers blaming the players or the players pointing the fingers at each other. And then sometimes it's even more drama-licious, like the players aren't happy with the rest of the organization, which can happen from time to time. Um, really anything. Uh, team can yeah. Um, <laughs> and really this can happen anytime for any reason. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting to watch uh, and sort of try to figure out where the changes are coming from, whether or not it's sort of the organization being unhappy with the player or vice versa. It's always fun to figure out exactly, uh, like, hey, maybe maybe Afro wasn't so happy with CLG or whatever it might be. Uh, yeah. But typically it's pretty hard to suss out. And they're pretty cagey about it. Yeah. So as things kind of go through, you have like the roster dance and then you have journalists who are trying to figure out all the rosters because they want that sweet, sweet <laughs> traffic and trying to figure out who's going to what team and what was the reason for it. And then you have fans who are like trying to suss out, well, which one of these journalists got it right? Which one of these journalists got it wrong? Who's got the inside track? And then you have teams who are trying to stay ahead of the journalists and like, hey, stop leaking things, players that kind of thing happens um and then usually have a few days to a week break and then comes the official announcements the goodbye videos the hello videos <laughs> the we were really sad to see this player go or screw this player we never liked him anyway that one's becoming increasingly rare but there were instances where that used to happen yeah. and then it's kind of a where do we go from here a lot of different parties kind of get reset back to zero. The NALCS has to figure out, well, just as an example, who are its new stars. Um, the players have to figure out where they fit on their new teams. The fans have to figure out what was my favorite team. You know, some of my favorite players left my favorite team. And the teams themselves kind of have to figure out both what's their like in-game identity and what's their marketing identity. And all of this, as we said, happens within 10 days. So it gets kind of crazy. I, I'm not really sure how teams even manage to pull it off most of the time because, I mean, most of them they don't, I suppose. And it, it's just, it is sad that it happens so quickly in a, in a couple ways because I do think it kind of, it can set back a lot of the branding stuff that happens among teams. Yeah. Uh, when you lose your star player or you kick your star player, you have to figure out, like, what is, what's my brand from now on? What, what, what do we do? Where do we go from here? And it's just, it can be tough. I actually had an interesting Twitter conversation with Damon Estrada, who's the person who runs One Up Studios. They do videos for a lot of people, but most notably Team Liquid. And someone was, you know, shouting out at him. It's like, man, some of these vi goodbye videos are really rushed. And I'm like, they got to do one of these for every single one of the players, you know, or, or yeah. like, and this happens so fast. Oftentimes you might only have like 12 to 24 hours to completely produce like a one to two minute goodbye video. Like it's never going to feel good enough. You can't cram years and years worth of memories into a minute. That's just not possible. So of course they're going to yeah, feel absolutely. like they come up short. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it, it's, it becomes a problem when you're trying to 
you know, create a presence for the next season. Yeah. So I guess one thing that we wanted to go through is for each of these individual stages and like talk about how each of the games differ. We've kind of been talking about this in the sense of the league offseason just because it was so crazy. But I know, Taylor, one of the things that you wanted to talk about was the CSGO offseason because that's probably the one that's most different from League of Legends and a lot of the other games. Yeah, I mean, CSGO is, is a really difficult example for this um, sort of stuff because it doesn't operate this in the same way that uh, most esports operate or most other esports operate at this point. It sort of operates the way that games you, used to. Yeah, used to operate, yeah. Um, where there's just a bunch of, there's a pile of tournaments that happen and they're not there's not any regular uh, sort of schedule that happens and so csgo is constantly like oh we didn't perform well in this singular one tournament so therefore we have to start making changes and those tournaments can be two weeks apart a week apart yeah uh, so it be- it becomes this clear uh difficulty for them like wh- wh- where do we go from here like once w- once they've uh once they've failed to succeed to a- up to a level where they expected at one tournament do they keep with the same roster or do they try something brand new and try to switch it up uh, right away because there's no off season no real off season in csgo it, it becomes a chaotic mess and it's really difficult to figure out for most teams another thing that gets complicated on top of that is that not only do you have players that are getting removed from different rosters or maybe even getting traded but sometimes entire squads will just get dropped by their sponsor and then they have to figure out, well, are we going to break up? Are we going to find another sponsor? Because then all of a sudden you have, you know, three to five world-class players that suddenly become available for other teams to snatch up. Or maybe they're just off the market and they can't compete in, like, large tournaments because they don't have the financing to do it. It, it becomes really complicated. And sometimes, not necessarily in CSGO all the time, but in a lot of different esports where you don't have as, you know, as something as structured as the Overwatch League or... Or the LCS, you have teams that will actually just disappear because they can't find a sponsor in time to compete. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a bummer because those guys deserve to play for the most part. I know a lot of the CSGO guys are really big fans of the way that the scene works. Uh, and they, they like that there's these regular consistent tournaments that aren't always sort of under the same roof. But from an outsider's perspective, it becomes difficult to really follow because uh, you can't stay the, a fan of one team for that long. Uh, yeah, because the team looks it. totally different six months from now. Yeah, or even the same player for that long. Because like, what if your favorite player goes to a team you don't like? Like, it, it becomes more and more. It becomes increasingly difficult to try to keep up with exactly what's going on and try to keep up with any specific fandoms that you want to keep up with. Yeah, like for me, I'm just a fan of the old school people. Like Forrest is on Nip. I can count on that, but I can't count on a whole lot of <laughs> other things in the CS. Team. Like. SK Gaming's Counter-Strike roster obviously now is the Brazilian form of Luminosity, but it's like two years ago that wasn't even true. Like, they had a completely right. different squad. So it it's it's a lot different, and I, I know that you believe eventually CSGO, even though a lot of them are really happy with the way the scene works, you think that they're probably going to have to have something similar to TI, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is going to have to be a bigger conversation, uh, but I, I feel like CS really has a problem in the fact that they don't have that one tournament that's that's like hey here's the big one tournament uh that it it defines the whole year uh this is the one best team of the year uh this is the most important one and i think that's a problem i'm i I, this is like i said this is a far bigger conversation than than we're probably gonna have on this particular episode or episode but 
I, I find it personally, I, I find it a little bit more difficult to really care about the whole season yeah. uh, rather than just a handful of specific tournaments because there is no end end state to it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I kind of find myself in the same boat where because there's no real downtime for Counter-Strike, it's just kind of I'll watch a tournament if it's on. And apart from that, it's just really hard to follow because there's all these different third-party tournament organizers that are competing for my eyeballs. And on top of that, I might, you know, want to see FaZe or C9 or whatever a tournament, and half the time they won't be there because... Yeah. Um, it's just like you have to go through the qualifiers and there's so many different tournaments and you qualify or you don't qualify, which, I mean, hey, merit-based competition isn't a bad thing, but it does make it hard for me to keep track of my, quote, favorite teams and players if the tournaments that are going on they might not even be in and there's so many to follow that I just kind of, you know, viewer fatigue. Absolutely. Yeah, so for Dota 2, it's very... It, in a lot of ways, it used to be almost exactly the same way that CSGO is now, but thankfully... And, and a lot of people who were Dota fans the last few years might not realize it, but you had star players that were changing teams like once a month. Like they were, it was the most ridiculous kind of roster jumping in Dota just because it's, it was such a, at least it used to be, and I guess in some ways still is, such a huge like individual star game where you would have like the best mechanical players or the best in-game team captains constantly changing rosters because they were trying to find that like magic five to make it work. And I want to say that one of the great things about the way that Valve has kind of organized the Dota 2 scene into the four majors has really kind of stabilized that a little bit more. Yeah, totally. And all, even all the majors and minors that are happening this year, uh, sort of the changes in the way that they've been doing the tournament structure now, uh, even those, it, it gives you a specific, uh, it gives you a, an arc to watch for the year. Because uh, you, you know, at the end of the year, the international is going to happen, and that's going to be the biggest tournament of the year. Even if they sort of shy away from saying like this is the world championship, they don't really call it that. Uh, what the, but it is. It's just it it, it de facto is. Uh, also, it has the biggest prize pool of any esports tournament. Period. By so, many many times over. Yes. Uh, so by default, it is the biggest tournament of the year in Dota. Um, and I think that there's something very healthy about that. I, I really like the fact that it that it has that. Um, but it does also lead to once the international is over, the entirety of every single roster. Yeah, Dota probably more than more than League, more than anyone else. There is an absolute fire sale from players yes. after the international. You'll have like four four players or an entire roster just gone immediately from ti teams and then maybe two of those players will stick together and join another organization because you know they really like playing together or you might have none of them none of the players end up on the same squad or you might even have like in some weird twist of fate next year's international they somehow are all playing together again it's just it seems like literally anything and anything can happen and this is one of one issue that Dota still suffers from is like the year-to-year fandom is very, very hard to track. There's very few teams year over year that have either similar or identical rosters. You had right. Navi for many years, um, but even like Evil Genius's roster is much different than it was when they won TI. Alliance's roster mm-hmm. is much, you know, even just two years later was much different. 
And this isn't even talking about the Chinese teams, which it seems like their <laughs> star players jump all over the place after TI. Right. And you, I couldn't even name like who's on IG right now. It could be totally different from the teams that like went deep into the tournament. It's just, um, and that level of instability is kind of bad. But because of how you know Valve is not Riot and the stability, the organizational stability that LCS teams have because of being part of a franchise league is not exactly the same as it is in TI and the Dota majors, even though financially they actually give more support. Right. It, it, it does lend, it it is, does lend again to that same problem with CSGO is like, who am I a fan of? Am I a fan of the team? Am I a fan of the player? Uh, If, if I like the fan, if if I like the team and the player, is there any, guarantee that that player is going to end up on that team next year i mean like even in league of legends where it is it's not you know it's not guaranteed but you've got a pretty good idea of what the teams are going to look like teams have an identity yeah um, and there's it, multiple it, year contracts in the yeah, lcs well, there's that too. uh whereas in dota it seems like there's people are guaranteed to leave their team after ti uh, yeah. i mean look at look at mvp you know like the, the lone korean team yeah uh it was just like, oh no, they're all those guys are elsewhere now. Yeah, uh, it's kind of crazy how that, like that happens, and that actually, it, not only are they not multi-year contracts, it seems like um, even in Overwatch before Overwatch League, you had a lot more stability. So I don't know what it is. I, I don't know. Do you do you know what is it about Dota that makes teams and players just want to jump around constantly? Because I've never really understood that, even as someone who played competitive Dota for a very long time. Yeah, I don't know. It, I mean, it, it's so hard to say. It, I mean, it, it, it's obviously there's so much money uh, in the prize pools, and the prize pools are the primary source of income for a lot of those teams. Yeah. Um, chasing chasing those prize pools is really seems to be uh, the major thing that they, they want to be doing. That's um, actually a good point, because I guess if you win TI once, then you're set for several years of salary, right? Yes. Like, it's Absolutely. so much money. So I, I think I think that may be a large factor. Um, that would make a lot of sense. It, it, it's just it's so hard to know. I mean, like a lot of it is like these guys have been playing. Think about like the the star Dota players. They, these guys have been the star Dota players for years. Like yeah. so many of these guys have been around forever. I mean, you know, Fear, Dendi, all of these guys. I mean, Fear's playing again. I guess. Oh, is he I, now? I haven't. I didn't uh, even realize that he's sort of yeah, playing again. He's sort of playing again, I guess. I mean, he's still part of EG um, and has been for a while. But like, so I would assume that all of them know each other's personalities pretty well, so they know what they're looking for when they when they change rosters. Yeah, um, for so sure. So I'd be willing to bet that it has that has something to do with it. It's like maybe I want to try it with this personality as well, because uh, there are just fewer new up and coming Dota players. I do remember that a huge motivation for Dota players switching teams, at least back in the old days, was like, I just don't get along with that guy. I don't like that guy, so I'm not playing with that guy. I imagine there's still probably a little bit of that. Um but And there's less coaching. Yeah. I I think may have a bit may have a big factor in that. There's less coaching in Dota than there is in a lot of other Yeah, a lot of it is the the captains do the majority of the coaching, right? Like Puppy Puppy is God on all of Puppy's teams, right? No one tells Puppy what to do. Right. So they they, what they want is they or so as a result of that, uh, there's no one to come in and say, like, hey, we let's solve these personality issues. So when the players are left to to dictate how to deal with each other there's going to be more internal conflict. There's not, there's no, 
uh, external factors saying like, hey, here's here's how we deal with this. Yeah, so. I actually my the first one of the first Dota lands in North America I was playing at. I was playing on check six, and we actually had team get into a fist fight on the tournament floor before the grand finals. <laughs> of course so, why not so even even when you're winning sometimes you have people at each other's throats hey spoiler alert we ended up losing fist fight may or may not have been related um, I, would I was not so. i was not involved but i was trying to break it up but yeah like even it just i think that that's actually a symptom of a large problem within dota is that the lack of organizational oversight over the individual teams and the team's level of autonomy in some ways is good, but in other ways has kind of, you know, brewed this instability that's been there for basically as long as the game has been around. Agreed. So I guess the the last major one that we wanted to talk about, and we can kind of like blend this back into taking this all the way back to League, is Overwatch League, which I believe preseason is about to happen right now, or is happening now, or is... It right? started a couple days ago as yeah. of this recording. Yeah, so I guess when this goes live, it would have happened last week. Um, but this was that was to me was most interesting because players who were top professionals, maybe not top ten, but top thirty, no longer find themselves on a team at all. Um, right, and that is a very odd distinction. So what happened? What happened was. A lot of the owners that had established teams already, once the Overwatch League was established, some of them said, I really like my roster. I think this roster is a winning roster. For example, Envious slash Dallas Fuel, who basically mm -hmm. kept almost all the same players and they just added more because you have 12 person rosters. But there were others like Cloud9 slash Spitfire who dropped their entire roster and picked up a bunch of Koreans. And again... Sounds right all of this happened so so quickly um so like blizzard quote learned from the wcs experience where they didn't want to do region locking <laughs> but now they have the other extreme where there is no north american overwatch scene it, or if there is one it's pretty shattered at this point um yeah, i don't know what your take i don't place. know what your take on on what happened with the overwatch of signings was i mean like it, i found it uh, uh remarkably interesting let's say uh it was a, an interesting way to do it because i mean obviously for those that don't know uh blizzard decided to create an entire new franchise league uh and forced all people or all teams that were going to buy into this league to form new rosters so yeah uh that so what happened was they all the old teams the ones that were participating in these third-party tournaments like apex in korea or you know whatever crazy other tournaments were, were going on uh, basically just said, you know what, those that can buy into the Overwatch League did, and they're going to buy out all the players from these other leagues. So they essentially, they effectively, much like Riot Games, destroyed the third-party scene, uh, tournament scene. Aggressive and, language, right, Taylor. They did. I mean... I know I, that they I, did, I'm factually. Moralizing. <laughs> I'm not moralizing here. They did. They destroyed it. Okay. It's gone now. Okay. Um, there, is, there is no more third-party tournament scene. It's gone. Uh, but uh, and whether that's right or wrong is uh, history will decide that. Yeah, well, that uh, remains to be seen. So all of these new teams had to be formed almost immediately, based on Blizzard's timing. I should say almost immediately. It took them several months for them to figure out how to do this exactly. But uh, they kind of yeah, knew so it, it was coming in this case. Yes. So all these teams sort of disbanded or were around, just sort of in a holding pattern, waiting to see what Blizzard was going to do with these new teams. 
now now that those teams were created and the franchises were established, it is now a situation where these teams had to get new players. Yeah. So it, it was it was a fascinating experiment. I'm really curious to see the level of play that results in this because I'm not entirely sure that it's going to be great. Do you think uh, the play the level might go down? To some degree, I think so because a lot of the players that a lot of the teams that got bought, bought out, you know, like Lunatic High, I guess a lot of that's a bad example because a lot of those players stay on the same team. Um, but a lot of these teams have been playing together for the first few months uh, or years in some cases. Four years, yeah. So it's going to be, they had to figure out how to play under a new system, under a new regulated league uh, to figure out exactly if if they could, they could do this sort of thing. So I don't know. I, I, I'm still, I know we've said this on a previous show that I'm holding out judgment for the Overwatch League, but I'm still holding, holding out judgment for the Overwatch yeah, League. So I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. Without it, talking too much about like, like what's going to happen with the league itself, like a lot of players kind of found themselves without a home and the biggest example of that that i wanted to talk about was rogue because rogue Mm -hmm. as far as like from the beginning of competitive overwatch to the end of i guess i'd say merit-based competition in overwatch they were pretty much the top one to three best team in the world um Mm -hmm. overall they had a bad last contender season but apart from that, they won a bunch of different tournaments. They finished highly in almost every tournament they played in. And then when they played Overwatch World Cup, they finished top four. So, <laughs> like, basically, Team France was Team Rogue, for those who don't know. The roster was exactly the same. Um, that's how good those players were. And then they all found a bunch of different teams, and some of them were just never signed. At least, as last time I checked, some of them were still not signed to Overwatch League teams, which sucks. You had some of the best players in the world that now don't have squads, um, which I find odd considering the fact that there's 12-man rosters. But when you're combining what were essentially like 30 to 40 pro teams around the world and condensing those down to you know 12, that makes it really hard. Yeah, and uh, it, it, it's going to be really interesting to see if they can actually figure out a way to meld together uh, in a way that these original teams did too. So... Yeah, Overwatch League. It's complicated. As we're seeing, like a lot of the rosters aren't performing as well together with these new players as some of the original rosters were before. And you know, we've we've talked a lot about synergy on this show and how synergy takes time to build, which it does. But um, when you're basically starting a new season less than a month after signing players, it can become a little difficult. Um, thankfully, this is preseason, so some of these rosters are going to have time to play together. But especially with the mixed nationality rosters, I think that's a lot harder than people give it credit for, which I think we saw with China in League of Legends. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's a lesson that they're going to have to... Overwatch teams are going to have to learn from League of Legends. Um but they'll, you know, they'll figure out. I got faith. I got faith that people will figure out the 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 multi language team, multilingual teams, um, much like League of Legends is starting to now. Uh, but yeah. So I wanted to ask you, Taylor, what were your favorite things that happened in the league off season, and what actually surprised you? Oh man, I mean, well, what surprised me is I said at the top of the show, Aphromoo off of CLG. That's that's a huge surprise to me. Um, yeah, from I, what I, I that that was... what I heard, he was unhappy with new management or old management at CLG that they just kind of had differences. I don't know if that's true. Obviously, I don't, true I don't have inside information, but I had heard that. So mm-hmm. it it's sad. I mean, I, I... It's sad if that is true. 
um, because he was there for so long. Mm-hmm. And he's like one of my favorite players in the history of the game, and I'm a CLG guy from way back. So uh, are you okay? It, yeah, I, 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 I've been a fan of that team since I started following League of Legends. Um, so it's it, it, that was definitely the biggest surprise. But the thing that I was sort of the most happy about—I know this is this is going to sound weird—but the thing that I was most happy about is that new TSM roster. It is um, a very good-looking roster. Um, I was a little surprised that they got rid of Doublelift. Not hugely surprised but the fact that but send mythy are the best bot like either the best bot lane in the world or certainly the best western bot lane so 100 percent the way i'm not ready they call them the best bot lane in the world but I, they're certainly the best western bot lane yeah i mean prey gorilla obviously last year probably mm-hmm. had the claim to that but still sven mythy are outstanding and i'd say that since origin most of the teams that they've been on have at least underperformed slightly compared to their level of talent at least as far as international play they've obviously won everything domestically but i think that's probably not enough for them and and they wanted something a little bit more and tsm also wanted something a little bit more so i'm I'm also really happy that they they kept hanser around i'm a big fan of mike young i i just really hope that they give mike young the opportunity to actually carry which will be nice um so what do you see it's actually interesting because of the whole like import slot na dynamic mike young is Mm -hmm. like about as good as you could possibly get for a north american player but assuming the one of the things i'm always curious about about mike young is like how how well does he stack up internationally that's why that's why obviously if you're gonna get sven and mythy like who you know you say like this is like kind of going like a little bit broader. It's like you're getting the best bot lane that's available to you essentially, other than like maybe Prey and Gorilla. Um, so it's like, is Mike Young then the best person that you can get to replace Sven? I think in terms of style, probably, uh, because I mean he and Sven have a very similar style. Even if you know TSM hasn't allowed carry junglers to be carry junglers for a while, notorious mm-hmm. for not not allowing carry junglers to actually carry. Um, but if you're looking for a similar player to Sven, to Sven Skarin, then you've got to go with somebody who is similar. Uh, and that's Mike Young. It's like him or Dardock, right? Yeah. If you're looking for North American junk players. Uh, the question now is, can he, can he play within the TSM ecosystem? Can he play within, uh, play with, you know, a superstar mid laner? Yeah. So one of, the, one of the things that I've always thought is like, obviously tsm now is like had a rough time at worlds and you know the last few seasons they didn't make a whole lot of changes this season they made quite a few more but i'd say obviously they're more the exception than the rule but i think in general teams are a little too quick to make huge sweeping changes i don't know what if you agree with that yeah i i I typically don't like teams changing out like three or more players during the off season, uh, unless you know those three players are severely underperforming, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't. I typically am not a fan. I'm sort of divided about the TSM thing because I like the roster that they that they have put together. I like those players. I think that those players could play well together. Mm-hmm. But I don't like the way that they went about changing those players. Do tell if that makes. Sense. I don't like the way, or I just, I just don't like the fact that they changed out three players. I, I like the end result. I don't like the fact that they. So you did think it it's like there? You think the stability of the roster is going to take a hit at least in spring because they changed so much? Oh yeah. Okay. But that's, that I mean, that's sense. classic TSM. Uh, the, TSM is always says like, oh, well, our goal isn't spring. We don't care about spring. 
Right. They always win spring, but I don't care about spring. Yeah, wild turtles you know subbing like. in for an entire split, I think, is yeah. pretty much evidence of that. Yeah, so they're, they're just like, we just want to get as close to we, as we can to the state we want to be, and then in summer we ramp it up and go for Worlds. Um, that is the TSM plan every time. It never works. That's always <laughs> yeah, the TSM right. plan. Yeah, that's, right. So that's, uh, that's the thing, right? Is that So, for example, basically every single player, all the players that TSM dropped... And almost every single player, let's say in the NALCS, that was either cut from a roster or not re-signed for performance issues, was immediately re-signed by another roster. So if that's the case, either your evaluation is way off, or the other team's evaluation is way off, or you just have people shuffling these top-tier players over, you know, over and over again from team to team. And if that's the case, then like, why are you dropping them in the first place? It's either for performance-related issues, but it can't be long-term performance issues or like, you know, the analysts of that other team wouldn't pick up this player that's over the hill or whatnot, or it was for synergy related issues, but synergy related issues only get solved, you know, over time. So what is the right. real reason that these players are switching hands so much? I, I know that each individual case is different. Sometimes it's a play style issue and, and whatnot, but is double lift's play style really that much different than Sven's? Like, yes, but not really. Like, you would say that the difference between double lift and reckless is much larger than the difference between double lift and Sven, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, in that case, like, obviously there's personality questions and we don't know what's going on behind the scene, but Team Liquid, who had already played with double lift in spring, like, they snatched him up pretty quickly. Um, so, right. I'm always curious. Um, and I don't know if the teams can really, and this is one thing that in all of like the welcome videos, the teams don't really kind of address is what, what is the real reason that you're making these changes? What is it about this new player that you're bringing in that is either better than the player before, or is it, is it just the best you can get? Cause like, you know, for example, CLG's roster changes, like some of them happened pretty early on, but some of them were pretty late, right? Like Biofrost was a pretty late addition, right? so are are they just like they obviously can't say well we lost you know our longtime captain so we just got the best we could get but it's like what is it about biofrost that they went after why biofrost why not lemon nation or why not adrian or you know why not any of the other supports that are available right so that's kind of the thing that i feel like is missing a little bit and as someone who in like this huge roster shuffle i'm trying to figure out what team do i want to be a fan of I really kind of want to be on the fan of the team that actually has the best plan for winning, right? Is that crazy? Right. I mean, I, I, I am personally of the belief that uh tend to stick to one team as a fan. So, like, I'm, I'll be a CLG guy. So, for me, I'm, I'm a Cloud9 person for the most part. And it actually kind of got to me. It's like, I don't really know what Cloud9 is doing with this roster. Like, they hmm. were grooming Ray for two years and, like, having impact there. And then they just, like, picked up another top laner and i felt like contracts like he wasn't a superstar but he was good and then like, like all of a sudden yeah. he got called into question too so it's like give me give me a reason to believe like i want to like i like this team but i don't really understand what's going on you know right absolutely it, it, it becomes hard to remain a fan of that team i don't know i i, I am for context i'm in traditional sports i'm a oakland a's guy so I am more than happy to be a fan of a team that will never win anything. Uh, yeah. Uh, also from um, Oakland, also, well, I like the A's and the Giants, so I'm, like, a little bit more of a bandwagon than you, but hey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's 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 one of those things where it's, like, 
I'm just gonna stick with stick it out. If something horrendous happens, like obviously there are reasons to jump ship off of the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, I, I don't really subscribe to the idea of, hey, you have to be a fan of the team that has the highest chance of winning. No, I'm uh, not like a front runner in that sense, but I do identify with a team that most exemplifies my personality, if that makes sense. Sure, yeah, that yeah, makes sense. Which I think like a lot of fans are that way. A lot of people like TSM because like Sneaky and Jensen and for a while Meteos were like all super trolly. And then like even when Rush was on that team, they were all super trolly. And I think that... Mm-hmm people that like that type of thing like the team for that reason and i ever wonder if suddenly sneaky and jensen aren't on the team and they suddenly have like a quiet roster or like a completely different personality are the fans that were fans of cloud nine now suddenly going to be like well this team is no longer what i thought it was and i'm i'm off the bandwagon i don't know right uh, i mean at that point i think they just start following players around right i mean in theory yeah like but, how many how many clg fans are now going to be 100 thief fans because aframu jumped ship to the cleveland cavaliers like i don't know probably, but probably, probably some right yeah i remember I um, so. when we were at riot there was this infographic that went public that was talking about like um how fans like switch teams over time i don't know if you remember that I remember, I remember leaking. I don't remember exactly what it said. Yeah, it was basically, it was kind of showing like a split-by-split split overview of the number of fans that went from team to team. Like when Reckless went from Fnatic to Alliance, how many people went with them, and then like Alliance to Elements, how many people split off based on what happened there. And I always find mm-hmm. stuff like that really, really interesting. It's like in esports, and I think this is one of the reasons people at least were partially critical of overwatch league is they're like well people are more fans of players than they are of organizations like how much do people just kind of follow their favorite players and how much do people follow their favorite teams and i think this league of legend offseason more than any other will really kind of show that because you had a star of tsm double f go to team liquid you have liquid basically turn over their entire roster you had clg get rid of their longest standing member and then you have a bunch of new organizations that are entering the league so where are those fan bases coming from? And I think that it'll be really interesting to see, like, at the end of spring, depending on who's done well or what roster changes, how many fans each of these teams have when, you know, everything is done. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the case for long, a long time coming in esports. Uh, now that uh, teams are really getting more in the way of players' careers are extending out. Yeah, it's, Lemonation, it's... like, what, 27 or 28 now and still a pro? Yeah yeah it's pretty cool so it, it's gonna be interesting to see as time goes on so one thing that i wanted to say i wanted to talk about this a little bit as like far as fan reaction because like obviously my reaction to cloud nine is like kind of a microcosm of what a lot of what happened to a lot of fans you fans like such outrage at power of evil really surprised me i don't know if if you saw that or how you felt about that yeah that was really weird um, it was all very intense and something that I was not necessarily expecting. Like, he has been pretty much a perfect representation of the, quote, you know, the European mid laner ideal. Um, yeah. And even, the, like, I understand that there was this huge campaign of him to, you know, get to All-Star and whatnot. But he has been nothing but positive and nothing but good for all of the teams he's played on. And... Um, I think a lot of players experience something like this, but I've never seen it as magnified as like how like the in traditional sports this happens all the time. Like the how dare you leave? Like Kevin Durant leaving Oklahoma City to go to the Warriors. Like so many people, mm-hmm. like how dare you? Or LeBron leaving Cleveland to go to Miami. I've never seen 
anything that extreme in esports until Power of Evil. Basically, I don't I don't know if it was purely a chase the money move or whatnot, but I've just never really seen that before, and I don't know if this is a trend that's going to happen or if this was a one off. But it just was re- really surprising to me. In a, in a way, it kind of that kind of gives me hope. <laughs> um, it's so, obviously it sucks that it, it's happening to Power of Evil, somebody who's by all accounts a good dude, but the loyalty team fans finding loyalty in either their region or their team or whatever it might be is really kind of gives me hope because that that just shows that people are starting to get to the point where they really really care mm-hmm. and i think that that's going to be overall a positive for uh, uh overall a positive for the for the esports scene as a whole uh League that's of a good point a actually uh so as long as as long as people don't take it too far stay passionate guys yeah i I actually wonder how much that would be like if it was like him going from a boston team to an la team like if you would have seen that even magnified even more you know what i'm talking about like cities that already have a well-established competitive sports rivalry suddenly having a player do the betrayal and going to the other one how that would impact things i'll be very curious of that year two of overwatch league when you have you know teams or cities that have rivalries and all of a sudden you have players that are like how dare you screw this guy we gave everything to him and then he leaves like i also do think that that's kind of cool in a fan base way um i'm just hoping fans don't lean too much of that and still stay positive because there's enough negativity during the season based on whoever went 0 for 11 that week then can no longer read twitter um yeah I just don't want to see it get to the extent where, because, you know, like, esports athletes are way more accessible than traditional sports athletes, but I don't want to get to the point where people are just like, oh, I got 11 death threats this week, no big deal, like it is in pro sports. Right. Yeah, it's like, keep it lighthearted, guys, please. You know, like, keep it fun. Like, having the occasional, like, oh, you know, you traitor, like, in a joke kind of way. Yeah. That's great. That's fun. That shows passion. It's good. If you... If you take it too far, you're a dick. Yeah. Trade it, play it, play it simple. Just don't do that. Yeah. Don't be dicks, guys. Come on. I feel like I end every episode like this. Every episode, or... don't be a dick, man. It's great. Don't be a dick. Like, just don't be an asshole. It's not that hard. So we kind of talked about what we liked and what we didn't like in the off season and where things would go. Um, either for C- like CSGO, Dota, League, Overwatch League. Um, what are some things that you would like to see happen to change in the off season? You know, what are the things that you actually like in the off season and like do you think that from journalists or team or fan perspective like what could go better i mean all of it <laughs> uh, i i kind of like the super crazy hyper fast changes within the off season i love that stuff um i think it's super fun to try to keep up with everything um i, I think it gets a little crazy sometimes in some of the stuff that doesn't have like the dedicated off season i i mean i personally like the dedicated off season with rush swaps but I think that fans need to just remember that not everything is always set in stone. Uh, you need to make sure that the stuff that you are talking about, everything, the stuff that is going to be so that the roster ops that you're so concerned about are not set in stone necessarily. Um, so like, don't be a dick about it preemptively. Don't be a dick about it. Don't be a dick about it at all. As a whole. But like everyone relax. Your favorite players are still going to be there. They're going to exist. Don't be an asshole. So one thing I know that used to happen is that teams would kind of get upset at the journalists getting scoops 
and like obviously the journalist's job is to find out what's happening would you like to see and i guess here's an example is do you remember there was a year where travis gafford uh teamed up with teams to like do these big like interviews and about roster moves you know you mean while i was working at yahoo with him ah yes so you know you you had inside (laughs) knowledge of this so like do you think that that is better for the scene than what ESPN kind of did this office in reporting on every rumor? A lot of them were true, so I don't want to say they were baseless because a lot of them were true, and I was hearing a lot of the same rumors. Um, but do you think which of those ways do you think is actually better? Having you, yeah, you were actually on Yahoo when you saw the other side of it. Um, I mean, I, I like it when teams are being open with the press and ready to like have a conversation about their decision-making. Um, I, I, I think the teams, it's pretty much only beneficial for them to be as open as possible with that stuff. Um, I mean, unless they're uh, obviously extenuating circumstances. Yeah, but, for sure. Uh, I, I think that the getting rosters out there and open is, is good for the scene as a whole. Um, obviously the leak stuff, like the Jacob Wolf kind of stuff, that's also pretty valuable. Um, I think it's valuable for the players also. Like, I think some players might not know because basically every single time it's like build your own dream team. And I think a lot of players might not know exactly what's going on. And then they hear about it and they'll probably like hit that guy up on Discord or Skype or whatever. Like, yo, are you talking to this team? They'll be like, yeah, do you want, you know, do you want in? Or they're like, how much were you getting paid and all that? And I actually think Mm -hmm. that that has a positive effect. Um, but at the same time, I understand why the GMs and the owners are like, man, this sucks because now our roster is leaked before we even knew 100% what we were going to what we were gonna do with it. Right. Um, I understand both sides of it, but uh, and also at the end of the... But at the end of the day, the audience wants what it wants, and they want to know what the new roster is. I want to know what the new roster is as soon as possible. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely get it. So I understand it. I, I don't think there's... there's. It's hard to say. Um I think that organizations need to not get mad at journalists for doing their job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think that fans need to relax every once in a while. Basically, everyone just needs to relax. Is there ever going to be a time where a roster will not get leaked at all? Will, uh, will a team owner ever be able to make their new players keep their mouths shut? I'm leaning Probably on no. Not. Yeah, <laughs> I'm leaning Absolutely on not. no. These are teenagers and dudes in their early 20s. That, like... If anything, they I'm just getting paid two hundred grand next year. Yeah, yeah it's kind of yeah. hard, kind of hard to keep that quiet. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that is all I had. Do you want to close out the show? Did you have any final thoughts for us, Taylor? Don't be a dick, man. As always. As always, don't be a dick. Be cool. Um, thank you guys for watching. We're sorry that we took a few weeks off on the cooldown. Um, but you can find all of our updates on twitter.com slash the cooldown. Um, I'm Frank Fields. You can find me at FFMiri on Twitter. And I am Taylor Cock. You can find me at Taylor Cock on Twitter. And uh, thank you guys for listening to the cooldown. We talk about the dumbest and coolest stuff in competitive gaming. Until next week, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.